How are we doing? Good to have you. Uh, I know if you're probably new here, you're thinking, why don't they have more paved parking here at the Journey, right? <laughs> so uh, I got two words for you, Fairfax County. Uh, that's why we don't have more paved parking. So thank you for coming out today. And I don't think it's too bad out there, but just be careful. Uh, we're not liable for any injuries. I mean, I could probably come up with some big long thing that's legal, right? But uh, anyway, if you get hurt, let us know. We'll, we'll help you out. But um, we are glad that, uh, that you're hanging out with us on this Sunday. Um, oh, I also want to say thanks to Don Davis. Uh, Don spent basically two days here. Yep, let's hear it for Don. I think he's, he's downstairs working with kids right now, but he spent two days clearing stuff and getting us ready so we can be here this morning. So we really appreciate that. If you know Don, tell him thank you. Uh, we're in this series called um, Do Small Things, right? And we've been in this series for the past couple of weeks. And if you're brand new, it's really about these small things that we can do in our life that really make a big difference. Big difference in, in who we are personally, in our relationships, in our work world, in the church, in the community, and, and in the world in, in general. And so we, we've been hitting sort of these, kind of these strange little mantras, right? The first week was what? Make your bed. That's the connection there to the bed. Make your bed. We talked about habits, the importance of habits. And specifically, we talked about the importance of, of reading Scripture on a consistent basis. That, that research shows if we read the Bible four or more times per week, it literally is life-changing. It's transformative in who we are. And so we, we was like, hey, just, just start reading the Scripture if you want to do that. But we also invited you to jump in to this Core 52 Bible reading. And uh, we asked you to either get the book and just read it on your own, or you can do it with us as a group. And so I think by uh, Thursday this week, we had 110 people that were part of this group. Uh, every week we throw up a little thought on it, and then some of you, you jump in and add your thoughts and, and praying for each other. So it's really this kind of cool um, virtual community that we built through this. So I think we still have about 12 books that are out there. So if you want to buy one after service, go out there. We'll, we have those are 10 bucks. Uh, the other piece of this, if you just want to jump into the group, and you've already got the book, make sure you do that because it's a, a good little community we've got going. But, um, but I hope you're, you're spending some time doing that. That's a small thing we can do that will change and transform us. And, and then last week, if you were here, we talked about calling your mom. How many of you called your mom this week? She had a chance to. Oh, that was terrible, guys. We need to work on that. <laughs> but we talked about calling your mom, and really the connection there was it, it's important for us to have healthy communication with other people. We said we're really good talkers and we're terrible listeners. We talked about being really good listeners and, and to be people who listen with love. And so last week is about calling your mom and, and connecting with, with this healthy communication, especially if we're a follower of Christ. We, we need to learn to be better listeners. But this week we go to this next one up here, and uh, that actually is a stalk of broccoli. Yes, people love broccoli, right? What is our mantra? What is our little thing today? It's eat your broccoli. Now, I was thinking about this week, and I was like, okay, broccoli, that's kind of an interesting vegetable. Is broccoli actually good for you? And so I got on the internet, did a little research, and I found out, hey, you'd be surprised. Yeah, it is. Broccoli has a lot of fiber. It's got a lot of vitamins in it. It's good for your heart. It's good for your eyes. It's good for your brain health. It reduces inflammation in your body. It helps prevent cancer. So, you know what? Broccoli is something that we probably should eat. But I also ask myself, can broccoli be bad for you too? And you know what I found out? Yes, it can. And all of you that hate broccoli are like, I just told my mom that back in the day, right? 
Well, what's the problem with broccoli? The problem with broccoli is if you eat too much broccoli, which is probably no one ever in their entire life. <laughs> it can affect your thyroid levels, cause kidney stones. It can bring about bloating or one of the favorite conversations that our kids loved at the dinner table when they were younger is excessive gas. So these are the things that broccoli can, can cause. So broccoli can be, can be bad for you if you have too much of it. But my guess is none of us are ever eating broccoli, are we? None of us are spending too much time thinking about broccoli either. But why talk about eating our broccoli today? Well, it actually takes us back to growing up. We sit down at dinner, and our parents would, would bring food and set it on the table, and there may be a meat there, and probably a starch that was potatoes of some sort, or, or maybe pasta like macaroni and cheese, but then there'd be that green stuff. There'd usually be that broccoli there. And what would you say as a kid? Mom, Dad, I'm not eating that. And they would look at you and say, you are not getting up from this table <laughs> until you eat your broccoli. Now, I'm not going to spend the time talking about how much we should eat broccoli or what broccoli should be cooked or the way it should be cooked. That's not what we're focusing on. What I want to focus on is that time together there at the table. Because there's something powerful about times that we spend sitting around the table with other people. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about today, how sitting around the table and spending time with people is important to our personal lives, it's important to our relationships, it's important to the church, it's important to our community, and I believe it's even important to our world. But why is sitting around the table so important? So let me share with you a, a few ideas of why I think this is important. Here's the first thing I would say is the table is the place we connect with others. Think about it. You, you sit down at a table, and, and what do you do? You, you usually eat together, right? There's some kind of meal or some kind of food or drink that's there, and you're, you're eating, partaking together. You're spending this time together, but you're doing something else. What are you doing? You're talking. And what are you talking about? You're talking about your life. You're talking about your work. You're talking about your experiences. You're sharing your, your stories. You're, you're giving the, the celebrations that you had. You maybe even are talking about your your faith in your life. And, and so the table is this place that we can come together and we can talk. But the problem is we don't do that enough. And in fact, it's not the norm for many people. I shared with you last year that uh, there was um, some research that was done in the loneliest cities in the United States and Washington, D.C. was number one and Alexandria, Virginia was number three. Which lets you know this is one of the loneliest regions in the U.S., right? Well, some new data dropped at the end of last year, and I, I found that this past week, and I was looking at it. Uh, Washington can't be number one at any sport in the whole entire world, but they're still number one, sadly, when it comes to being the loneliest city in the U.S. Now, thankfully, Alexandria jumped uh, backwards to number eight, not number three anymore, which is good, right? But at the same time, it still lets us know this is a very, very lonely region of America. And so I was thinking to myself, well, okay, th that's great, but is it just here? Or is this, a, is this an epidemic all over the place here in America? And, and the truth is, it's all over. Listen to some of these statistics. 52% of Americans report feeling lonely. 52%. 47% say relationships with others aren't meaningful. 58% of Americans report they sometimes or always feel like no one knows them well. That's what we talked about last week, right? The importance of being able to listen 
what people have to say. And 57% of Americans report eating all meals alone. And I'm sure there's many things that we could blame for this loneliness that we see in our region and in the United States. But I'm not going to spend our time talking about those. I want us to know that people are lonely. And loneliness is not good for us. Amy Moore, in an uh, article in Psychology Today, she writes these words. She says, loneliness isn't just an uncomfortable emotion. It's a serious issue that can take a toll on our physical and emotional well-being. Researchers have found that loneliness is just as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. It has also been linked to an increased risk of depression. Hey, loneliness is real. Loneliness exists, and it has an impact on who we are today. It has an influence on who we are becoming in the future, and loneliness is present in this room. We are lonely. But like we said last week, we're actually created to be in relationship with other people. We're not created to be alone. We're not created to be lonely. We're created to be connected and in community with others. That's why this past week, if you were reading through the Core 52 material, we were talking about how God said, uh, let's make man in our image. And if you read the essay in there, the author of this book, this Bible study, Mark Moore, he, he wrote these words. He says, we'll never know our true selves in isolation. We know ourselves to the extent that we are known. All of us are the sum of our relationships. Though our characteristics are unique, right? We're, we're different. Our character is forged on the anvil of our community. That isolation, that's loneliness. And that loneliness is something that so many people are experiencing. And we're not forged in isolation, right? We are forged in our relationship and community with other people. Loneliness may be our issue, it may be the problem that we face, but community is the solution to it. In the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew is writing about his um, connection to Jesus. He's telling stories of Jesus, but he, but he talks about how he, how he met Jesus. Now, if you know a little bit about Matthew, he was a tax collector. Basically, he sat at a customs office is what he did uh, in this little town of, of probably a sizable town at the time of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Travelers would come through. It was a travel destination as you were traveling from the north to south, and, and people would stop there and it's kind of like an easy pass, guys. Like, hey, you got to pay your toll as you come through here. So he's getting that money. And then you got the fishing companies that are out on the Sea of Galilee getting fish. And as they would come into the port there, you know, he was there like, hey, how many fish you got? Let's weigh those. How many? Let's count them. And you'd pay taxes uh, to Rome through Matthew. And, and so you can imagine if this is your job in that time period, you weren't liked a whole lot, right? Uh, this would have been a very, very lonely job that Matthew had. Part of it would have been the Jewish people looked at him and said, you're an outcast. They looked at him and said, you're a traitor. The reason was you were working, he was working for the Roman government. The Roman government was paying him to do this job. And they're like, why are you taking our money? You're working for them. And so he was an outcast to the Jewish people. And then on the Roman side, they even looked at him that way too. Like, you're an outcast because you're actually Jewish. You're not one of us. We can't believe you're doing this for us, but thank you. But we don't even care for you either. And so... I can only imagine how lonely this job would have been for someone like Matthew. And so one day Jesus walks by, sees Matthew, and is like, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. 
And what's Matthew do? Matthew drops his stuff, leaves his little easy path booth or whatever it was, and he begins to follow Jesus. But then look at what Matthew does. Matthew 9, 10 says later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. That, that probably sounds like some of the parties you guys went to as, as college students, right? Here's Matthew who invites Jesus and these disciples to his house. And then he's got all these, these crazy people. Uh, I can't remember if it's Luke or John, calls them scum, right, uh, that are there. You've got all these other tax collectors that are there. This is a very lonely group of people, and they were, were very connected to, to a very small group. But what do they do? They sit around a table, and they eat together. Like, can you imagine the conversation that's going on at this particular table? Like, like what these guys are sharing with each other, the stories they're talking about, the experiences that they've had, the loneliness that they feel, the way they've been treated by other people. Like this is the kind of dinner party I'd actually like to be a part of. To hear those conversations. And in the midst of this, you got Jesus who's listening to this and, and speaking into their lives and talking about who he was and why he was here, what was to come. All this is happening around the table. And I think about the table, and this is the place that those barriers are broken down, right? Matthew wouldn't have been someone that most of us would have gone and eaten with and spent time with and connected with. But around this table, around this food, these barriers were broken down, and I think it's the same for us. How many in-depth conversations have you had around the table before? How many tears have been shed around the table? How much laughter have you experienced sitting around the table? There's something powerful about us being together, eating and joining together around a table where that community is forged because we connect in that space. And if you look at Jesus' life over and over again, where do we find him? We find him eating with people. We find him around the table, connecting with people. And so the table is an amazing place to make those connections. But I also say this, the table is a place where we share our brokenness. As we build relationship with other people, as we spend this time around the table, as those barriers begin to come down, we begin to open up about who we are. We begin to tell more about the, the person we are, what we've experienced, that, that brokenness that we've experienced in, in our life, it's a, it almost becomes like the safe place where we can come together and to share our hurts and to share our pains and to share those struggles, to, to be reminded of where we've been and, and hopefully better yet where we are now and, and to share how we've gotten to this new place in, in our life. There's something about being around the table that's powerful when it comes to our brokenness. In the book of John, we have the, it's actually at the end, Jesus has resurrected. And Jesus has been making appearances and showing up in people's lives. And we, we find there's these seven disciples, and they go to the Sea of Galilee, and they, they decide to get in their boat and go fishing one night. Now, we don't really know why they do this. One thought is they had given up. Like, it doesn't seem like Jesus is doing anything, God's doing anything. This is the only thing we know to do, so let's, let's go fishing. And so... Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons they went to go fishing. Could have been that they were just so overwhelmed 
by everything that they've experienced in the, the days prior, but the three and a half years or three plus years that they, they spent with Jesus. And, and they're just like, man, we just, let's just go do something we know to do. And, and so they go to the Sea of Galilee. They go to, there to fish one night, but Jesus shows up. And we read about this in John 21, verse 4. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, it probably sounds like a familiar story because we, we find it again in Luke, but it actually, the one in Luke was a separate story that happened before Jesus. So this is the second time that we've seen this. Verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on this tunic. We get stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Now, first let me say, I know some of you are stuck on that, he had stripped to work, for work, right? Um, ancient uh, literature and ancient art actually shows fishermen in those days uh, were naked, but the, the Greek word, say to here, the Greek word that's used here probably meant that he had sort of like a speedo on, right? like a, like a loincloth, so he wasn't totally naked, but... They were, they were pretty bare bones for what they were doing. But let's just leave that because that's not even important in the story. Just, I know some of, you got, some of you got stuck there. All right. What does Peter do? He does what Peter always does. Impulsive Peter shows up. He knows it's Jesus. He jumps into the water. And he swims 100 yards to get to shore so he could be the first one there. Now, I would have been dead if I had tried to swim 100 yards. But Peter gets there. And then the boats pull in right behind him. Look at verse 9. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Uh, Sarah said a little bit ago that, you know, I, I, I do this speaking thing. Well, it's, it's part of my job, right? It's part of what I do, and I get to do this uh, throughout the, the year here, but I make mistakes, okay? Uh, about 15 years ago, I, I was speaking, I was preaching about this passage at one of the churches I, I worked at, and I got to this particular part, and, you know, right here we see is fish cooking over this charcoal fire, right? And I get to this place, and, and sometimes I just ad-lib, and you probably know that already. But um, I started ad-libbing here. I'm like, you know, Jesus has got the disciples there, and he's, he's cooking up some breakfast, and he's scrambling some eggs, and he's frying up some bacon, and, you know, he's getting ready to feed them. And in the service, one of my guys comes up, a good friend, and uh, he grew up Jewish, and he's like, uh, Chad, he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't think Jesus was frying up any bacon for those guys that day. <laughs> like, you're exactly right. He would not have been doing that. And by the way, it says there's fish cooking over a charcoal fire. So that's what happens when you, when you add lib. Jesus invites them, right? But I, but I want to focus on, on actually that, that, those two words there, charcoal fire. That, that word that's used in that particular passage is only found in one other place. It's found in John 18, 18. It says, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. Same word right there. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warning himself. Let me tell you what's significant about that. What happens in John 18 is this is a space, this is a place where twice Peter denies who Jesus is. Two times around this fire, he denies 
who Jesus is. And then here we are, the Sea of Galilee, and what is Jesus doing? There's the same fire that is there that Peter comes up onto. Now, why, why do I bring this up? What do we know about fire? It has a smell. There would have been this connection for Peter between what had happened probably about 40-some days prior to this moment that he's experiencing with Jesus right here. Uh, we, we call this associative memory. It's when a smell triggers something from our past. Uh, Thursday, I, I came to the office, I got out of my car, and I was like, I could smell somebody burning uh, wood in their fireplace, right? I mean, there's a few people who do that this time of year. It automatically took me back to when my family lived in Bumpus, Virginia. We lived down there around Richmond for about four years. It was my dad's first ministry, full-time ministry. And um, it's nothing, it was nothing then like it is now. I know growing up, there was no anything there at that point. But, um, but I woke up one morning, and, and we had uh, one of those wood-burning Fisher stoves. You remember those? Maybe some of you had those in your house. And uh, I woke up, and I wasn't feeling great. I walked into the living room. I smelled the wood burning, and that was it. I ran to the restroom. I was done for the day, right? I smelled that on Thursday morning, and it took me back to that moment. And you probably have those things, too. There's those smells that trigger something in your mind. Maybe it's, maybe it's chocolate chip cookies baking. You're like, oh, man, that's, that's what grandma's house used to smell like. Or for me, it was if I smell mothballs, it reminds me of my grandparents' house. <laughs> maybe for you it's the same. There's a perfume or there's a detergent, and it takes us back to some memory from our past. There's this associative memory that, that we have. But that's what we see here. Right? Here's Peter, who's there at this charcoal fire with, with Jesus, and he smells that smell. I know it takes him back to that moment or those moments where he denied Jesus. I bet he experienced that brokenness again. I bet he experienced that, that shame that was still lingering there from what he did days prior to this moment. And, and yet here we are at the end of John, and we find him there around this fire, and they're eating this, this fish together. And Jesus says this in verse 12, says, Now come and have some breakfast. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, hey, Peter, like I forgive you. Like, I know you know what happened. I know what you experienced. I know what you did. But here we are together. It's like Jesus invites him into this, this moment, into this space together. And in many ways, it's saying, hey, hey Peter, I'm your redemption. I, I'm your hope for, for who you are. You were lost and you were broken, but, but I am here for you. And all of that happens around that that food, right, around this idea of this, this table. And maybe for you and I, that's what the table needs to be. A place where we can bring that brokenness ourselves, where we can bring some of that shame that maybe is still there from our past, that we can bring that pain and those struggles and the hurts and the, the tensions. And here's this, this space that we can come together around the table and say, this is where I've been. This is where I am. This is what I'm experiencing. Here's this brokenness. And in those moments, we can share the hope of Jesus. Which leads me to the last thing here that I think is important about this table. It's the place where we give to others. I want you to think about that a second. When you invite somebody over to your house, even if you don't go sit around the table, do you tell them, like, hey, you, I want you to come to my house, but I'm not going to give you any food, nor I'm going to give you anything to drink, so don't ask and don't bring anything with you, right? 
Like somebody walks in the house, what is the first thing you do? Can I get you a drink? Hey, you got some food. Hey, we're going to eat dinner. Let's sit down or, you know, whatever it may be. There's something we give them, something tangible that we give them. And we, and we do that because it kind of lightens the, the, the atmosphere. It'd be really weird if you just show up at somebody's house, they don't offer anything, you just sit around, right? I mean, we could do that, but that's not the norm. We give them something when they show up in, in our home. What if we saw the table as a place that we, are, we, we have to give to others? And I'm not just talking about some food. I'm not just talking about a drink. I'm talking about something more. What if that's the place we help give hope to people? What, what if we saw the table as this, this place that was a part of, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's part of your mission to reach in people that are far from God. That's why I love these words from a, a pastor. His name is Barry Jones. He says, perhaps before we invite people to Jesus or invite them to church, we should invite them to dinner. Now, I don't suggest a plate of broccoli, okay? <laughs> but there's something to that, right? I, I see that and I think, man, what, what if that is how we viewed our, our, our table? That this is the place that, that we get to say, hey, let me tell you what hope is. Let me, let me listen. Again, last week, let me listen to you. And as I listen, man, I, I just want to be able to let you know what hope looks like for you in your life. Probably the most famous dinner, food, table, event that we have is the Last Supper. That meal was connected to the Passover celebration in that day, and um, it was really a celebration of what had taken place when the Egyptians, um, through God leading Moses, brought the, excuse me, brought the Israelites out of Egypt to, to freedom, right? Got them out of slavery, brought them to, to freedom. And, uh, and so the Passover celebration was all about that. Well, Jesus is, is bringing his disciples together for this, this dinner. Look at Matthew 26, 17. It says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Now, now my guess is for these, these disciples, they think it's just like a normal, ho-hum Passover dinner. All right, we're just going to do this thing, we're going to get together, and we're going to you know, kind of go through this little ritual and routine that we do for the Passover dinner, and once we get done with that, we'll just kind of go about our lives. But there's, there's something more that's going to happen on this particular night. There, there's, a, there's a bigger purpose behind it than just that celebration. In fact, if you look in the book of John, there are five chapters that are all about the Last Supper, chapters 13 through 17. But, but I love how N.T. Wright puts it. He's an author, pastor, theologian. He put it this way. He said, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Three plus years these disciples had spent with Jesus. And, and it's in this, this moment, in this meal together that he shares with them what's getting ready to happen. It's like we spent this time together. This is why I am here. And, and I am this hope, I am this hope that you need. I am this hope that the Jewish people need. I am the hope that this world needs. And he shares that with them over this meal. Now, it's not until much later that they sort of figure this out, right? In fact, we go back to what we read in John 21. Why are they going fishing? Maybe they're just kind of lost that hope for a little bit. But they finally grasp it if you look in the book of, of Acts searching for something and Jesus says what you're searching for is me you're looking for the hope that comes from me
again, I wonder if we should not look at our, our table in the same way. That, 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 that is a place where you and I get to help give hope to someone else. That at the table, as we, we sit there, we give hope to someone who's lost their job. We give hope to someone who's just been delivered their divorce papers. We give hope to someone who has a child who is dying of cancer. We give hope to someone who has a loved one that has passed away unexpectedly. We give hope to someone who can't stop drinking. We give hope to someone who, where gambling has taken over their lives. Could it be the table is the place where we get to share the hope of Jesus with others? I know it's a pretty simple metaphor, if you will, but around the table we build and strengthen and are forged in community and those relationships. And we get to share our stories and our hopes. We get to share our brokenness and our, and our pains. And, and in that place, we also have the opportunity to give hope. Hope that comes from knowing and following Jesus. And maybe if you and I looked at the table that way, we could understand it like this. Maybe God created us to eat, not to nourish our bodies, but to nourish our souls. What if the nourishment we're supposed to get is not from the food we eat, but it's deeper than that? Because of who we are in Christ. And maybe the table is the place that God changes and transforms us as we give the hope of Jesus to others and our souls are nourished. Which leads me to finish this up with a couple of challenges. My first challenge would be eat your broccoli. <laughs> Take the time to eat some healthy stuff, right? It's good for you. You got a new year, throw a couple of broccoli in there, put some cheese on it, right? If you got to do that, I think it negates the broccoli, but at least you feel better about yourself. But the second thing is really the, the main challenge and that is to invite people to eat with you at your table. And it may be some people you know, but my chances are there are neighbors you're connected to. I can think of some that we have right now, and we talk about like we should have them over, and we just haven't done it. And you, maybe you've got neighbors like that, or coworkers, or, or friends, or whatever it may be. There, you, you know people. You know people that are just looking to get connected. You probably know some people that are lonely. And we just love to be able to sit down and, and to eat with you, and, and to speak with you, and just to, to connect with you around the table. And so my challenge for us this week, as we go into this new week, is over the next seven days, I, I want you to think of somebody in your life that, that you need to invite to be around your table, that you can spend some time with, that you can invite over to eat together, to have some coffee, whatever it may be, but just some time to spend with them. And, and not to tell your story and, and not to share all your junk with them, but to just stop and listen. And maybe through that, they see the hope that you have through Christ. That's my challenge for you this week. There's another challenge for you also, if you're not part of our neighborhood group, hey, there's always food at our groups, okay? I don't know of a group that doesn't do food, but there's something about food. We tell our group leaders and hosts, like, you gotta have food. Food breaks down barriers. People start talking, and they don't even think about what they're saying. They just share everything. So, um, so we invite you to be in groups. If you're not in groups, we invite you to jump into our groups. We, we've got our team out there in the lobby. Uh, after our service, you can go in there. And um, uh, you can ask questions. Uh, some of our groups are closed because they're full, uh, but we still have some that are open. Just take a chance. 
And if you're not in a group, I challenge you to jump in one. They finish up at the beginning of May, middle of May. You're not stuck in this for the whole year. But there's something beautiful about being together. And, and those groups don't always meet around the table. They might meet in the living room, but there, there's something about being forged in community together where we get to share the hope of Jesus with each other. And so I challenge you to do that as we begin this year.